If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything that you need all in one place. Let me tell you about it. Anchor has all the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, it can distribute your podcast to all the listening platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It's everything that you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, it is totally free. So, go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, guys, and welcome back to the podcast. So, today's podcast is going to be kind of special because this is part two of a two-part series that I did with Mr. Ben Nowak and David Swinseed. And this is audio pulled from a live that we did with him. Now, David, for you guys that don't know, is the U.S. manager and R&D specialist for a company called Duo Realis. And Duo Realis is best known for a bait that they produce called the Spin Bait which is best known by its technique name, the spy bait. And David is really been on the forefront of bringing that technique to America and teaching people when, where, how to fish that bait to catch really big fish. And David is a wealth of knowledge, not only about spy baiting, but bass fishing in general. And so this podcast was going to be almost three hours long, so we decided to break it into two parts so it would be a little bit more manageable and you guys could really dive into this information and learn all that David was talking about because David, like I said, just a wealth of knowledge and really, really technical when it comes to bass fishing. So... If you've not listened to part one first, I would highly suggest going and doing that so that you can get the full experience of this conversation. Now, before we get into today's episode, as always, this podcast is sponsored by the good people over at Monster Bass. Monster Bass is a subscription-based company, and once a month, we're going to send a box full of lures straight to your front door. Now, what makes Monster Bass special is that we are creating boxes for the time of year that you're fishing, as well as the region of the country that you're living in. So that means you guys are going to get the tools that you need to go out and catch fish on the waters that you live on. So we're hand-picking baits. Like I said, if you live in the south, you'll get baits for the south. If you live in the northeast, you're going to get baits for the northeast. And then we're making sure that those baits align for the time of year that we're sending you those boxes. So I'll have a link down below. Go check out Monster Bass. Go check out all the different options that they have. And as always, guys, thank you for listening and enjoy this episode. Well, folks, um, Alex knows how to spy bait, so I, 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 don't, I don't have to show him anything. He's got it down. But I will say this. Um, when you're starting out, uh, you really do want to be stubborn about it. Uh, and for a number of reasons, I, I, I said it earlier, it is the easiest, most difficult technique to do. And that alone separates it from going down the bank with a spinnerbait or throwing a topwater or doing those kind of things. It really already puts the odds against you, at least in interest. I, I remember when it was first started, guys were saying, this is the most boring thing I've ever done in my life, David. Are you serious? Does this really catch fish? And maybe they were just used to power fishing or maybe they finesse fish differently, but there was some truth to it. It's a very static um, presentation. You're kind of sitting there not moving and doing your thing. And, and if you have the mindset, if you change your mindset and say, this is what I'm going to do, um, you're going to be, you're going to have half the battle won. The other thing is don't take spy baiting over to Alaska and try to fish it over there. If all your fish that you caught were, was in Gunnersville in Alabama, Go to Guntersville, Alabama, fish mm-hmm. those high populated areas that you've already fished and you've already had experience in. And I'm not saying this for confident measure. I'm saying it so that you can start to do an analysis. You can actually go in and to start to ascertain when these fish start to focus in on that bait. And another thing is you're already an expert there. 
So fish are familiar waters where you have caught fish before and experiment there. And you, you may say to me, well, David, where I fish for, you know, I've, I've caught a hundred fish on this one bank, but there's stand up trees and there's giant boulders. And, and it's okay. That's all right. Now learn how to position that lure, I, which takes me into the next thing is, is, you know, the lure has treble hooks on it. So you run those treble hooks up against a rock or a piece of wood or log or something, they probably are going to stick in them. Um, if you are practicing, go ahead and take uh, go ahead and take three patterns that you have, pull the hooks off, the split rings off, and cast them. Because if you get bit, you got bit, you, you, you got rewarded for doing the right thing. But mm -hmm. then you can throw that spin bait anywhere. You can put it anywhere then. And while, by putting it anywhere, I mean you can actually throw that thing into the trees and find out the fish aren't eating it in the trees, but they're eating it as soon as it gets outside the tree. Mm -hmm. Now come tournament time or come your weekend where you're going to spend a lot of time spy baiting, you can now parallel those tree lines and catch those fish, realizing that you didn't have to go in the trees to go get them. They actually would come out and get the bait. So you can make some ahas, some quick ahas doing that. Um, another thing I think, too, is um, I had a I had a pro, elite pro that told me, hey, man, I, I, I know this technique works. I know it does. And actually, he was a guide on Gunnersville and and. Uh, and he said, I know it works, but I can't get bit. I said, well, why don't you go out and chase schooling fish with it? Because I know that's such an easy thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. We're kind of driving along. We know this end of the lake, usually those fish will blow up on the point if we fish the lake long enough. So we'll just hover over there and wait till that happens or when the birds start working that bank or whatever. And then race over there and just throw the dang thing and start fishing around those schooling fish. You get bit and you kind of get an idea. I will say this. Don't take that home and make that your spy baiting session because you still <laughs> you still have quite a bit to get through. But at least you can get an idea what they feel like when the rod loads up. Um, sometimes I'm reeling along and a fish will hit the lure and I can feel the lure coming to me but I can feel this like popping and shaking at the other end of the line and it's popping and shaking. And what's happening during that time frame is that bass has eaten the lure, continued moving my direction, realized he didn't like the lure. He's opened up his mouth and he starts doing this and the lure is doing this inside his mouth and he's trying to get rid of it. And I can actually feel that on the end of my line when he's trying to shake and get rid of it. I can tell. And all of a sudden it frees up again. And, and I'm really along and it's smooth and really long. The other thing, once you get in tune with the lures, you'll start to feel the wobble in the lure. That tiny little lure, you'll start to actually feel the wobble. You can see it in your line and in your rod. When you first start, though, you don't. most guys don't feel that. But and usually it comes after spending some time. Pretty soon, you're so in tune with it, you can see that little wobble take place. Um, so those are just kind of like little keys that uh, that just kind of help get you confirmed on that thing. And again, you know, try not to think of it as a con, you know, I got to be getting confidences. Think about it as I've got to execute A to get B to get C. Mm -hmm. And let's just take, a, I'm going to use a dumb example, but let's just say we're talking about a hump, just a regular hump. And that hump is about the size of a truck. Okay. And it's in 20 foot of water. The top of the hump sits in 20 foot of water. When you come up to that hump, most of the time, our human behavior, on, uh, unfortunately, is to just throw our drop shot on top of the hump and let it be, or to take our crankbait and kind of throw it up there around the hump and, and grind down. I'm not saying that's everybody's way of doing it, and then some guy probably is going to hit me up later and go, that's not how I do it, but, but what I'm getting at is 
we tend to kind of just fish at the target. And I always say, my tip to you is to fish the back 40, I call it. Basically throw 40 feet beyond your target if you can. So here's that hump, throw 40 feet past that hump. Couple things happen. It gives you plenty of time, maybe not you, but me, it gives me plenty of time to make the lure get into position. Not be curling its hair, brushing its teeth. Everything starts to go into position while that lure is coming in. And once that lure is acting just the way that I want it to, I have now plenty of time for it to sneak into the area that I, that I wanted to. So that extra 40 feet past your target, for example, it doesn't have to be that exactly, but I'm just, I'm exaggerating that to, sh to, to share the importance. That 40 feet gives the line its, 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 its direction. It gives the lure its direction running straight and true. It gives you time with the reel to get the rod ready, to get your position ready. It gets everything in, in, in sequence. And then when it hits the, the hump, it's already moving naturally. Naturally, not adjusting. When you cast on top of the hump, you're adjusting. So all these other things are happening. I'm going to click the reel over. I'm going to tighten my lineup. And so my spin bait goes like this, and then it goes this way, it goes this way. And then, oh, now it's starting to come straight again. So you, it, it starts acting a fool because it never had time to set up. So you help yourself by doing it. The other thing is, we know this, we've been fishing long enough. When you cast to the end of your line, you've hit the end of your line. It ain't going any further. What it will do is it'll shorten your distance for you because it'll start to pendulum mm -hmm. if you keep it on tight line. So if you throw on top of the hump, it's likely that you could tighten your line up and miss the hump. And if I take this area, this sometimes is like 20 feet that we miss the target from casting on top of the hump, depending on where on top of the hump you cast. But just casting on top of the hump, clicking my reel over, now my line's tight and the bait's coming back at me like a jig would, anything else would. So, you know, when you throw a jig a lot of times, or you've seen guys, they skip a jig underneath the tree. The jig's made it underneath the tree. It, it, waves, it waves, hello, I'm here. It's in underneath the tree. But if I tighten my, clip over my reel handle, guess what the jig does? It starts to swim out underneath the tree really quickly. <laughs> so I skip the jig underneath the tree. It's skipping. And as it's skipping, I'm starting to pull line out. So that it continues its trajectory and then it has no tension. There's no tension. So it's not going to swing. There's no tension. So it just falls straight down. So I get it closer to the target. So in spy baiting, you want to do something similar. You want the lure to go past its target and come through to get it closest, closest to its target versus casting on top of the hump and having it pendulum away from its target. So that's a big, big thing that guys do. Now I can condense that and say you go to tree stumps you can do the same thing cast beyond the tree stump i have a buddy who works in 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 fishing and he he's pretty high up on a media side of a company and and he him and uh one of his uh, pros went back and they went into some backwater in the south and they started fishing spy baiting but usually what they do is they go back in these tree stumps and they start to throw a spinnerbait banging spinnerbaits or crankbaits off these tree stumps that are just submerged underneath the surface and they started throwing a spin bait back there, and they caught more fish than they knew what to do with. 
one fish probably never seen minnows free <laughs> like that before. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, acting a fool. So those fish were probably going to be payback. But, but the point is, is that they figured out how to spy bait along the trees. I actually sometimes take the spin bait when I'm just bored or getting or blowing off steam or de-stressing or decompressing. And I'll go out to a river here that we have brown trout in and I'll throw the spin bait in the river and throw it right up against the tree, the, the, the lay down. And I'll run it there and I'll stop it and let it just hover in the current and a big brown will come up and eat it. And uh, some of the fly anglers get mad at me because, you know, they're going after those little six inch fish, you know, trying to present a fly and they see this four pound brown come out of the, uh, out of the water. That didn't <laughs> you know, yeah, so which you've been doing a lot of that brown trout fishing, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I started look. I was reading data. you know, I keep um, data sheets. I just keep data on what I'm doing. And, and so I was looking one year, I was looking, I go, man, I've caught a lot of walleye. And I looked down the second number of, a number of fish that I caught was uh, brown trout or trout in general. And then the third number was crappie. I caught a lot of crappie offshore. And I was like, God, you know, and so I decided I was going to go stick my nose in that. I'm not a trout angler. I'm not a crappie angler. Um, you probably don't want me crappie fishing with you because I mess you up. But, <laughs> but, but I, I do go to bed thinking about bass. I dream about bass. I wake up in the morning thinking about bass. I kiss my wife and then think about bass. You know, but with that, I thought there's some really good data here that's showing how effective this lure is on this species of fish. So I started exploring more and more with it. Um, and I'll give you an example. I had a section of river that I knew for years. I go in there with a Japanese jerk bait. I have a bunch of little Japanese jerk baits that I love to throw just for entertainment. And I go in there and I, every once in a while I'll catch a brown, like one to three brown in that section of river, you know, every one or two efforts or sessions. I went in there with the spin bait. And this was uh, low water, you know, when the river settles down. I went in there with the spin bait and my my ratio like jumped dramatically. I mean like jump. So if I was catching one brown, I was catching 15 to 20 brown spy baiting one brown with a jerk bait 15 to 20 brown spy baiting it was so dramatic i, I have a nephew that lives in southern california that was like uh, uncle david is this really true and he's kind of a trout guy and i said i said i'm not lying to you but you know so he drove up or flew up i don't know how he got here it he shows up at my doorstep well i want to go spy baiting with you so we went out and it wasn't even ideal conditions and we went out and slayed like I don't know, 30, 35 Browns, you know, that day. And wow. he, he got it. Yeah. Now, again, you know, things probably were ideal. Conditions were set ideal. But what I'm getting at is the lure itself. Um, I wish it was the angler. But the lure itself <laughs> uh, really, really applied to those fish if you fished it the correct way. It just really made sense. Those fish. I got to see some amazing stuff. Um. One night I was fishing and, and I made adaptations because of spy baiting. We know this, right? You fish the mid column and then you fish below. Okay. And, and I'm going to talk about that. But anyways, I was fishing the bait and I come through a, a depression in the river, like a little uh, eddy. And I'm coming through and here comes this four or five pound brown. I can watch him. And he, and he must have come from 40 feet away. But he shows up behind the lure and I'm reeling the lure and I don't change anything. And the lure is coming straight at me. He came up, eats the whole lure in his mouth. And then before I finished the crank, the full 360 degrees, he let the lure go and swam off. 
right in front of me, nose to nose. So that told me, and what was happening was my spin bait was, uh, how can I say this? So we're going this way. My spin bait was traveling this way and the fish was traveling this way. So when the fish ate and he didn't like it anymore, he let it go, it released. So I changed my approach just like we would in spy baiting. Instead of fishing the upper column, I decided to fish the lower column. And I started to trace the bottom contour, which made the fish turn this way when he ate the bait. And I caught that fish the second time. And, and, and then I caught another one the same way again. And, and it, it was kind of one of those confirming moments. But I would have not known that if I hadn't had the discipline and the execution from the very beginning of spy baiting. I wouldn't have not known how to necessarily solve that. And I had like six Browns do it to me in three days where they came up and ate the bait and spit it out. Now, I don't know if they got my house number or what, but they sure were making fun of me during that session. So, <laughs> so I had to get a little bit wise. But again, it, it, the, the change for me was, was really micro, um, and, and it would be for you guys too, but it was micro because um, the, the only change I needed to really make was bring it, bring it deeper. It's going to change the angle of fish. Just bring it deeper, let it trace along the bottom. They have to come in at a different angle to eat it. And, uh, and we caught those fish, and some of them were really big, um, but a great deal. But what I'm getting at is in presenting that lure, remember we talked about that hump, 20 foot. I call it split the difference, and I tell pros this all the time. These are the elite tour guys, the elite series guys, the FLW tour guys. I say if you don't have a lot of time fishing, <clears throat> then when you get to your hump or you get to your place where you think the spy bait fish would be going or you think there are big fish that haven't committed to something – then make your cast over the hump, and let's say it's in 20 feet. Well, fish that lure in 10 to 13 feet, right over the hump, about midsection. That will get the fish that are kind of looking up, wanting to eat. That, that will get them to go. If that doesn't work, your next cast, put the lure on the bottom. Now, not directly on the bottom making contact, but, you know, several inches or a foot. On the bottom, if you make those two casts on a place where you think there are definitely big fish, you're going to be in a better you're going to be in a better position just on two casts. Now, I may fish several casts to that spot, but I'm talking about pros that are really, really trying to make the adjustments on the fly, and they don't have time yet to sit down with spy bait for three days in a row. I took a I took a guy that was from South Africa. He flew into fish with me, and I said, "Hey, we're going to spy bait." And, and he had a couple little lures he wanted to throw. And so I, I, I said, I'm going to spy bait the whole day. I don't want you spy baiting. I just want you watching me. And I said, day two, I'm going to give you the rod. You're going to spy bait all day. And I'm just going to throw jigs or whatever and watch you. But the whole idea is what I wanted him to see was the transformation that would take place. So the whole day he got to watch me. <clears throat> and he caught a couple fish off the jig. Look, I caught a couple fish off the jig. It was really a spy bait. Uh, uh, weekend, by the way, meaning the season, everything just dialed in. The bait was moving and just a lot of stuff that was ready to fish, suspended fish. But he got to watch me catch 40 fish, spy baiting. That was it. He was convinced. But that's not enough. He's got to now do it himself. So then I handed him the rod and the poor guy, I didn't let him take, you know, put the rod down. He had to have that dang rod, that ugly rod for the whole day. You know, that, and, and, and if you're not used to that, it, it can, it can wear on you for sure. But those are some real good ways to get immersed in it, you know, and, and without a lot of huge risk. I, I'll say this too. Um, again, we talk about those hooks. Um, if you take those hooks off, you can kind of fish 
uh, the the rougher topography or, or or the or the cover laden areas that you're afraid to lose. But another way you can, if you're fishing a bunch of rock, for example, and 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 Ben, you probably get this quite a bit where you're fishing bottom or shallow, where there's got all this sharp chunk rock that's not too far away. You can fish that stuff spy baiting. You can almost bump the cover with that stuff. And all you need to do is drag that lure through the water column. Look and see which hook point sits in the keel position of that lure. So that one hook point. And then all you want to do with that hook point is you want to bend it back towards the shank. And what ends up happening is you create a bumper. And that bumper now can hit the rock. Now, that helps you climb over the rock when you're getting down there instead of incidentally catching it, you know, catching the rock as, as you're strolling through. It'll bump the rock because that's the very first point of contact with the lure. R rarely is it the nose of the bait because guess what? The nose is actually sitting at the angle of attack is actually upward. So the nose usually doesn't snag onto things, but coming up over that piece of cover, that hook, that, that hook can catch it. So that's a way, just bending that hook point back towards the shank when you know you're going to be battling rock the whole time that's, you know, in shallow water or like a rock flat or, or whatnot. And the other thing is, is when you do hook the snag the lure, um, a lot of us think bite, set hook right away, right? You don't right. have to do that. You can, if you're, if you're in those kind of areas and traversing those type of areas, you can just reel along. And if your lure stops, you stop. I guarantee you, if it's a fish, it'll start moving again. <laughs> so if it doesn't move, you can then go over there and, you know, and shake your rod tip and get your lure back. So that's another way. And I, I know that's ridiculously common sense stuff, but but it is another way to get back a $14 lure, which I, 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 I don't like losing them. <laughs> that's amazing. So I have a question, David. Yes. Something I've seen coming out of Japan is... Um, you know, you just mentioned bending those treble hooks down and creates a bumper. I'm seeing a lot of these two hook, I guess you would call them. It's not a treble hook at that point because it's not three points. It's just two, two points. And I've thought about running those on spy baits and some of my other hard baits, just experimenting. Yeah. What is that kind of the purpose of those hooks is to kind of have that same effect or am I missing the point of what that hook is? I think those I think those hooks have have pertinence depending on the body shape of that lure that they're on. I think you got to pay real close attention to that. Um, because uh, I, I mean, I've done this years ago, but those hooks sit and they have a cradle, a natural cradle that's in between the two hook points and the bends. Mm -hmm. And remember, we're talking about a moving bait. So with the moving bait, we're going to do what? Those, those hooks are actually going to rise as force of water gets against them. They're going to start to rise. And as they rise, they're going to come up against the belly of the bait. And so if they're V pattern, the body is going to probably sit somewhere in the middle of those hooks. What I'm getting at is those hooks will almost kind of um, hide among the profile. Uh, it, it's possible. I don't know. I'm not saying it's it, it, it will happen for sure. But just knowing that hook form, that may be one thing that happens to the first hook. It may actually go up and cradle the belly of the lure instead of, having a treble hook, you know, available. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I don't know if I can show you that, but having a treble hook available. So um, that would be one thing. I'd be, but I, I, I like your idea. The first, the, the brilliant thing about it is, is I, I, I don't have all the answers and you may find something. I think those double hooks at the back of the lure, 
may may be um, may be pertinent as well. Um, but but I haven't done a lot uh, with that. I haven't just haven't studied that a lot at all. I've studied it a little bit, but I think it's a great place to explore. Um, but those those would be the kind of uh, red flags I would probably have with that particular configuration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, because the reason the reason I was wanting to experiment with it, you know, Tennessee River, we have a lot of tributaries, right? We've got a lot of really shallow water smallmouth fishing that, you know, it's river floats, it's kayak fishing, it's jet boat fishing. I mean, it's stuff where you can't get your traditional bass boats, glass boats, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And these fish feed on these little snail darters. And these snail darters are, you know, it's tiny little bait. And, you know, they're very prevalent here in East Tennessee and Tennessee River system. Um, and I was always afraid, like you say, to throw a $14 spy bait out there in river current. But knowing and hearing you talk about fishing for those brown trout, we had several conversations about this, you know, off this podcast, you know, just on phone calls and stuff. It started kicking that idea in my brain. Well, I can I can mimic these snail darters with this spy bait. And I can show these fish something that, I know will absolutely get bit because I'm dealing dealing with a really finicky smallmouth that can see you from a long way off. Yeah. And so that's why I was kind of thinking those those treble hooks that don't have that point, something I can put that spy bait in an area and get it out without having to really worry about it. Yeah. And so yeah, I think it's gonna be interesting. It's definitely something I'm gonna experiment with just to see. Um uh, yeah. And just I, to see what would happen. I mean, because I really do believe that that's an, a, you know, that's going to be a bait that I can get a lot of big bites on. Yeah. The, I, I think it's a great idea. And I, I always tell guys, you know, I, I encourage you to, to, to experiment because like I said, I don't have all the answers. I've been around for a long time. Uh, I think my wife said, has said too long, but, um, but I, I have been around for a long time. So um, I think <laughs> things come and go. Uh, but I think the, you know, just look at, look, yeah, look at the possibilities. It may not be the two hook configuration, but maybe when you do start experimenting with that, another idea pops into your head. Mm-hmm. About that. Or maybe you temper the hooks with heat and then you start to wide, you, you widen them so they have a wider flare. Or maybe mm-hmm. you look at that and say two hook design, like, you know, like David said, it cradles the belly of the, of the hook lure. So it's not really allowing the fish to get hooked. Mm-hmm. The two points are hooked al- along the side of the lure. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That, that two hook configuration goes right up against the, the sides of the hook. So yeah. you may change that, or maybe you pinch it, or maybe you reverse it. So, um, or maybe you use a single hook. Now, I use single hooks yeah. sometimes when I'm fishing in 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 really really ugly stuff. And I I was I, again, Gunnersville keeps coming up tonight. I do not know why, but because uh, <laughs> I haven't been to it for a long time. But uh, here's a great example. I'm in Gunnersville and. Uh, and um, I'm fishing and I can see these fish moving, this bait moving in the grass. And the and every once in a while, a bigger fish is, is on them. And I'm like, he's it's almost like they're not following. It's almost like the bait's coming into an area and it triggers a big fish. And then the bait leaves and then another one. It wasn't even like they were pressing it. The little fish were pressing the bait, moving it, but I didn't see any big fish with it. And it was pretty clear. I see this guy yell at me. Rah, 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 rah. And I and I I promise you I know very few people fishing. <laughs> so I waved back and I thought, well, maybe it's boat boat trouble. He kind of looks like he's waving me over, and I, I just wave back, you okay? And pretty soon he gets on his trolling motor and he comes on over and he starts talking to me. He's like, Man, you're that spy bait guy. I know, I saw you. You're that spy bait guy. And I thought, oh, no. 
Uh oh, he's gonna he's gonna say something. And so, uh, well, I I'm sorry. I I'm sorry you had to do, deal with me in that respect. How can I help you? And he says, No. He goes, Man, I'm catching the snot out of these fish. You know what he was doing? Which is a brilliant idea. He took 20 pound mono filament, tied it on the spin bait, and strolled across those grass tops in in, in Alabama. Mm -hmm. Now, and that's what I'm saying. I, I you know again, I, I it gives credence to the guys that just um, they take the technique and they and, and they learn. Now he still goes and does the other stuff, but now he's figured out I can go up shallow and fish those fish. And and he mm -hmm. started, you know, don't don't you tell anybody about this. Uh, I'm doing this, so <laughs> I kept it kept it quiet for several years. But uh, but um, yeah, I mean, it was, and it, what a great, I mean, what a great adaptation. You know, what a, what a smart guy. I mean, great adaptation. That's so cool. Yeah. I think like hearing all of these different ways guys are learning how to adapt it to the way that they're fishing is pretty unique too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, guys will, I had one guy tell me, man, I rip it off the bottom. I catch them. Well, I did that in R and D phases. I did. I ripped it off the bottom. I did things to try to enact because I had plenty of video of fish um, changing their moods. And again, my focal point was targeting neutral mode mode fish. I don't know if you've ever watched them in any expanded time, but you know, they could be like, smallmouth that are sitting on a bridge piling and you roll a spinnerbait by they don't even look at the spinner they keep their head straight and they're and they're still in the current and you're rolling a spinnerbait by they're not even looking at it those fish were the fish that we were really really trying to target um because those fish are telling that they're, they're cautious their windows very very tight they're very cautious but still they want to eat it's not that they don't want to eat it's just when and how um, you can trigger them. You know, the old, I, I talk about the old cat. You have an old cat or an old dog in your house and you take a, a string and a ball and you drag it by their nose. And the old cat looks at you like, that's great, idiot. You know, and you're kind of like, well, get the ball. You drag it by their nose again and they don't go and get it. But there's some things that have happened behaviorally that actually tell you that that, that animal's a predator. What you, you may not, the, the, the cat may not, the old cat may not lift its paw and grab the ball. But if you watch his eyes, his eyes instantly locked on that bait or instantly locked on the ball. And so now you graduate it to maybe you stop the ball and start to twitch it a little bit in front of him. And now his ears perk up. So now you got the eyes and the ears and maybe his nose is flashing, it's scenting and it's flashing as he's trying to pick up the, the visual cues of this animal or this inanimate adjunct that you're now making an animal and then pretty soon he lays his paw on it and goes here now are you satisfied i caught the bad guy and, and <laughs> you get happy and you go home and and and, and go with your day but but the point is is that he was in kind of this detuned mode he wasn't going to really go and chase things down um, he knows the stimulus that's out and above him. And what you did is you actually kind of tricked that stimulus again and, and reenacted it. And that's what, I mean, that's, it's kind of hard to explain, but that's really what we were shooting for in spy baiting was, was to try to do that with fish. And the outcome is the active fish, they'll go all across the football field to go get that, <laughs> that ball. The active mm -hmm. fish will chase that thing down. Right. But the inactive fish are eating it. And that was really the goal. So that it helps get to kind of a double whammy. I mean, you got not only catch the active fish. Now, when you fish a jerk bait, the active fish come and get the jerk bait, right? But have yeah. you ever fished a jerk bait and watched the active fish not 
eat the jerk bait. You're like, what the heck? I'm doing everything. Look, check this out. This is a double step, you know, and you start twitching the bait, making it do all sorts of things and wink at them and they just keep going. I've seen big smallmouth um, pass up a jerk bait before. So the idea was how can you get those type of fish that are a little bit more cautious and more neutral um, to, to, to be in, to be in play, to get there. And it, and it does, it does show the just, power of a spy bait and that's what i tell everybody about it is it is the ultimate tool for taking a predator that is the ultimate creature in its environment apex of everything in its environment you know you take a bass you know and obviously muskies are bigger and badder but you really look at a bass it is the ultimate predator in its environment i mean it's it's the great walk wide of the lake it yeah. can kill and anything it wants to and I truly do believe that, like you said, when those fish are exposed to stimulus, um, whether it be good or bad, their entire life, they're so in tune to that, even though they are, you know, their brain's no bigger than the size of your thumb, they have to be completely in tuned and be the ultimate predator in their environment because that's the way they get big. Yeah, you know, there's studies out there. I, I haven't chased those down for a while, but, you know, a rattle trap is one of those baits that has been tested multiple times on bass and bass behavior. And, you know, uh, the loud banging of the rattles, the intense vibration, um, it works. And then all of a sudden, as soon as those fish start to get used to it, they drop off and they don't eat it anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. they just absolutely stop. Have you noticed mm -hmm. that? Absolutely. So, so lipless bait fishing is a very interesting, um, interesting science project for me. Uh but 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 that that is what you're talking about is the behavior of those fish basically say enough's enough. I'm I'm overloaded or overwhelmed or I'm now cautious and they pull back in neutral. Another example of neutral behavior is when bass are following minnows. If bass come up like especially the juveniles, they come up and they get into a get into a middle school right away, the young bucks have kind of come over there and oh, we got bait, and you'll watch the bait start to do this. They, they'll just kind of start to quicken and start and start to move. And the bass that stays with that minnow school, a good 60 yards or so, all of a sudden you'll watch the minnows stop and start just swimming normally again. And it's almost like they got used to, now the bass is right there. Nothing's changed. The distance, the proximity is still the same, but he just swims along with them and they lose their sensitivity and they start to go back to this real normal precedent. And and those fish, those bass, I think, learn real quickly how to how to eat. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, but that, that's an example how the how the minnows actually get back into a neutral mode position as well. So mm -hmm. talking about lipless fishing all year kind of bring kind of brings up like the apex, right? So the yeah. apex tune lipless crankbait. Because this is the G fix, yes. which is just ridiculously loud and really heavy and for me it's like a phenomenal bait when i want to fish it along the bottom or i want to fish very precise areas and i want to make a long cast and have it like fall straight yeah the g fix is the deal but i've yet to like go out and find success with this i've not thrown it much to be honest with you but it's a totally different bait it doesn't yeah. fish like you would typically expect um a lot of rattling lipless baits to fish and so yeah I, so so that uh the apex tune is um some people would have called it a huge risk to bring to the industry um maybe um but 
what I can tell you is it takes you away from traditional lipless fishing and extends your lipless game. It basically can help your lipless, lipless game from pre-spawn all the way into the year. Um, now, as you get into, it just kind of depends on the bodies of water and stuff. But, you know, a traditional lipless has a, has a rattle. It's pretty boisterous. It's pretty loud. And early in the year, your, your fish are really succumb to that. They, they're very, very much, it doesn't even matter if it's, if it's dirty water or clear water. They'll eat it early in the year. And then all of a sudden, you'll start to see about that spawn time, it just starts to drop off. Well, in my research, I was watching behaviorally. I would watch the behavioral constructs of the fish. And the rattling baits that were really boisterous, had, had, they had become uh, accustomed to so much earlier in the year that they would follow the bait to a certain point, and then they would drop off. And at that point, I was kind of making markers or notations, and then I would change the bait a little bit. And I was making the bait maybe have a softer swim action, making the bait maybe be a little bit quieter. Um, and I kept changing these baits and from vibration, percussion to, to sound. And at, at the end of my trials, I was having the same exact fish. This is a test control, meaning I'm using the same populace of fish. And there's still variables, like Tuesday they're hungry, Wednesday they're not. That's a variable. But what ended up happening is some of those fish would follow the bait, committing to it, but following it. But at the same time, there was still too much stimulus. And they would punch the bait behind the gill. Um, if I can say that, and, and, and gill plate, and they would punch the bait and they'd back off and they'd watch the bait. And then pretty soon they'd get disinterested and, and, and move away. And I went from that transition to eventually making those fish commit. So out of that experience and, and that research, um, I kind of came up with, with Aaron Martins on this apex tune. And it's, and it's going that direction, basically allowing you to fish behind people that are using a very loud, boisterous rattle trap and that have already pulled the uh, fish off the cover and now they're catching those fish on that bank. You can go behind those folks now um, and catch those fish that they, they're not catching. Uh, it, 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 it's percussion is my focal point. Um, the frequency or the ac acoustics to the bait are much softer, much more dense, much more lower frequency too. So it was moving that direction to in order for you to not only catch them in the springtime, but to start to catch them at post-spawn when the water starts to warm up. And at post-spawn, remember, a lot of lakes start to filter, so they start to get clearer. So now you get into the clear water situations. Because every once in a while, I could catch fish in the summertime off a lipless bait in the early morning on schooling fish. The fish would be just going at it. And I, I, I would only get like two when I would do it. I'd throw the lipless out there and I'd burn it as fast as I could. And boom, I'd get a fish. But after doing it three or four times, the fish were like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm, 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 I'm tuned into that. So I knew that the application for a lipless bait, and if you think about the profile of the lipless, it's so natural. It's, just, it's a very natural profile. So what my hypothesis was I want to make a lipless bait last longer through, through the year. So that was kind of the focal point. And I think – when you've well, you've probably thrown it now. You can feel the vibration is much different. It's it's such a teeny, as far as profile, such a teeny thin bait. You you can be 
shockingly surprised how much vibration, how much banging inside happens to 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 make that bait work. And yet, you know, it doesn't have um, the sound chambers. Yeah, so I find it really interesting. And I was lucky where I was fishing this big Apex 100. Mm -hmm. And I know when this came out, like I had messaged you extensively and was like, okay, how do, what makes this effective and what makes it work? And one of the things that you had talked about was not necessarily the horizontal or the vertical fall of it, but how it almost glides. And you can see that translate into this bait too. I'm trying to grab myself a lipless red eye to show the difference in profile. Okay. So this is your red eye shed Uh and this is the apex just noticeably thinner and noticeably not necessarily like overall length, but noticeably thinner. And this has such a more natural sort of rocking side to side and more of a horizontal fall as opposed to something just falling like a rock straight down. Yeah. Yeah. And and that the vibration 68 G fix was made to kind of use with your demolition team you go throw it against the bank there and it falls right where it entered and it falls to the bottom and from there you start your your tracing and it covers that water it was really meant to be dirty nasty and in, in, in 30 mile an hour winds and you could still fit the bait um the apex tune is kind of like this hyper finesse side of it but um Sheds water differently, uh, and actually is 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 uh, it's obstruction or obstacle resistance is much higher, so you can get over cover with it a lot better. But you can slow it down and still have this vibration. And again, you know, it doesn't have rattles in it because I'm moving that we were moving that direction. But but the vibration is really the key per the profile, and there's nothing on the market like it because there's nothing on the market like it that can shed water the way that that particular lure can. So it's kind of on its own. And I'm really excited about seeing guys study this concept. Again, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a concept that's kind of out there a little ways. Um, it's asking people to kind of take more of a risk. You know, Really, you can start throwing lipless baits you know, later in the year. Well, when you get a lot of wind on a bank, what do some guys do? They pick up a white spinnerbait. They go throw that spinnerbait, right? The wind's on the bank now. So um, it it may kind of lend itself to that kind of application as well. Um, Here's something that's alarming about that bait. The one that you're holding up, I think, was one of the the prototypes that I had. And I uh, was fishing early year on the Columbia River. I fished with three different guys. Um, All three guys were able to select their own lipless crankbait. We fished familiar topography, meaning, yeah, you use this color crankbait when you fish this. It was kind of common sense. And those guys went out and they fished and we fished for 12 hours. And I threw that, I threw that apex tune and they threw the other bait. Well, I caught more fish and bigger fish. And then I switched with them and they caught more fish and bigger fish. Confirming now, here's the thing the water visibility was only 15 to 18 inches. Okay, that was the water visibility, so there wasn't real clear. Now, that's not bad for in the south, I mean, that's stained maybe, but but there, but in the, in, in, the, in the Pacific Northwest, so we usually can see down way deeper, right? So, so it was pretty dirty for that, for that setting. That's one thing. The other thing is it didn't have any rattles, that's the other thing. The other thing is because of that visibility, the whole bait disappeared well before the 15 inches because it's a very translucent bait. You saw it. It's yes. super translucent. 
So it actually disappeared in the in the suspended sediment much earlier than the other bait. So what I'm saying is it was like working a clear bait and, and, and that prototype actually had all the paint knocked off it anyways. But I wasn't there to do patterns and color patterns. What I was really there to do is see whether or not the percussion could trigger the fish. Well, I caught 26 pounds one day, a small amount. Um, <laughs> that, that, you would think that would be the confirming moment. But what it was is it got me excited to continue trying. So, so another guy, bring another guy in the boat. And, and, and the same thing, he, he figures it out real quickly. Give me that thing. Let me, and he starts trying. Yeah, this, yeah, I think you got something here. And then the third guy, well, when you talk 36 hours of lipless crankbait fishing and then three different types of lipless crankbaits being presented against the prototype and then the prototype switching position twice in the boat, you have it, I have it, we switch. And then a little bit later, uh, we switch again. That's a lot of data. It's not super scientific, but it starts to say there is something here to the vibration of this lure and to the output, what it's emitting and what it's giving off. So that's yeah. so that's what we went with. I can't I can't wait to to get my hands on that bait and throw it on Chickamauga, where you know you look at Chickamauga, it is like lipless central, right? Everybody has a lipless bait. Everybody throws a lipless bait. It is such a staple on that lake that I truly believe the fish at a certain point just do get tired of messing with it, you know? Because I mean, these places, you know, there's big you know, public holes that hold hundreds, if not thousands, of fish at a time. You know, it's lake saturated with bass but they will just shut down. They'll mm. just be done. And, you know, and I've got buddies who are, you know, doing all kinds of experimental weird fishing where they're throwing, you know, micro drop shots. They're throwing, <laughs> you know, all kinds of crazy stuff, but I would love to be able to have a lipless to just go in there and be like, okay, I'm going to throw this lipless that is completely different. It's going to, you know, completely counter, you know, what you're throwing and be able to pick up those fish. Um, I think it's fascinating. You def you guys definitely hit up. I love niche baits. I love finding a niche. I love niche baits. And that is a very niche bait that I think is going to be epic. Not only pre-spawn, but like you said, spawn, post-spawn as well. Yeah. Well, so you duo, and this is something that I've, I don't know if it was Alex that I had this conversation with or someone, but like duo is very good at coming out with baits that are different, almost to the point where you have to think about the bait and the way that you're fishing it differently than you would a traditional bait. But then you also have the same line of a similar line of baits where you can just go and have a lipless or just have a square boat, which you guys are coming out with, or just have a deep diver. So I think it's really interesting. And I think spy baiting was sort of the introduction of that. And like, mm -hmm. that's why people almost overcomplicate spy baiting as opposed to like a, a Senko, which realistically is not that much <laughs> less difficult than a spy bait. You know what I'm saying? I had I had Senkos sit in my boat for like 60 days before I used them because I thought they looked like the most most truth <laughs> thing. Boy, was I wrong! But uh, but yeah, you know, I think uh, I when I when when I was asked to join Duo, um, one of my goals, um, really were kind of, was kind of heartfelt goal was I really want to give back to the anglers. There's so many guys out here for whatever be the reason. But I really want us to focus in on giving back to the angler. Yes, we have a lure, and yes, it is, is expensive. So we can't dodge that. And yes, the company has to make money and all that other stuff. But 
but really, can I help them have tools that they can go away with, um, with, with a pleasurable affect and, and actually feel good about what's going on? You know, and, and I, it was pretty, you know, my, my request was that our R&D department, uh, you know, really have the ability to expand and to really critical think and, and, and to analyze. And, and, and we really have, we've really moved that way. So I, I've been honored to, to be a part of it. That was really one of my, one of my requests. Cause I know that I've been around a while now to know that a lot of folks will go right over to the CAD machine, spit out a shape and make 65,000 of them or go call some other manufacturer to make something similar and make them. And there's really no thought that's gone into them. And listen, you can throw you, I, honestly, you can catch bass with a shoestring and, and a hook and a, and, and a Texas rig weight. You can, <laughs> um, it happens. I, I proved it to a guy one time. I took shoestring, cut it, put a tiny little bullet weight on it, put rigged it like a Texas rig worm. And I took a black marker <laughs> and I put lines in it and I went out and, and as easy and ridiculous as that sounds, um, you know, some of our industry goes that way. And so um, I, I wanted us to, to depart, make sure that we weren't going that way, that we were really um, considering our consumer group in a, in a respectful fashion. Um, it doesn't mean that we make everything right all the time. It doesn't mean that we've got it all knocked down. But, um, yeah, I spend a lot of time uh, contemplating uh, actions and fish behavior and that kind of stuff in hopes of um, we don't have to hit the mark every single time. But if we make a jerkbait, I really want our jerkbait to service the angler. Really, the guy can walk away with the idea that I throw this jerkbait and I really like it. And that helps him think about the other baits that we that that we provide online um, for him to 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 continue his passion or his dream. Um, I have a lot of pros that uh, I, that aren't I, I don't sponsor that. I'm really honored that they they use they use our baits. I'm I'm really really honored about that because they can go obviously anywhere and obviously they have other commitments and 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 sometimes they find. Um, several baits within our lineup that really help. Um, and it's not just, oh, well, it's a new bait. The fish haven't seen it. You know, that's sure. Um, that's a consideration too. But some of these guys have taken um, our lures and really made them tools for themselves. And um, so that's really, that's really the piece that I think uh, uh, that I have, at least from a professional aspect, I, I know the company's got to make money. I get it. But, um, but I think it's really cool when I, when somebody walks away saying I've got the right tools and this company helped me, uh, help me do that. I think it's cool. I, I get a lot of backdoor messages and it's just awesome. These guys are like, dude, dude, I'm telling you what, this is something else. And I, and I get to see that. And, and, and I think that's, that's the biggest, the greatest reward for me. For sure. It's And it's awesome, dude. That's, I, I love to hear you say that because I'll never forget my first experience with a duo realis bait it was a jerk bait. It was the jerk bait you guys made. And um, I had a buddy, that owned a small tackle shop. And I think he actually imported them. I don't think that they come to America yet. <laughs> and, um, he handed me a couple. He said, here, dude, these took forever to get here, but I've heard of the deal. Try them out. And I go out and, you know, catch 22 pounds of smallmouth and oh. like, you know, totally blew my mind, you know? And so this jerk bait was like, do we, we freaking treated them like they were diamonds. You know I mean? Like we were going swimming for them in 40 degree water if we had to, to get them back. And then, and then 
then the G87, I've heard the yeah. G87 was coming out. Again, same kind of deal. My buddy's trying to import them. I get them all Japanese packaging. There's no English on them whatsoever. <laughs> Go out there, first time throwing it. You know, you, you whiz it out there. And I'm cranking this thing. And, you know, people that watch my channel, Ben knows this. I, I am a cranker. I mean, I crank all year long. It's something I love to do. First four real handle turns of that bait, I was like, this is something different. This is something that like nobody else is doing this right now. And ended up again catching, you know, 20 pounds of fish, you know, set on one hole, went behind guys, caught fish. And like it was something that at that moment I thought, this company, I gotta find out who like who who's in charge over here. I gotta like find out who's representing these people and shake their hand. And the first time I got to meet you at ICAST, that it, me and Ben both, it was an awesome experience because I thought I finally get to talk to the guy that is like, you know, that is put in the work, put in the time that he's designing tools to catch fish. And that's what I always love to tell people is I don't, a bait is a bait. A bait is a bait is a bait. I don't care what it is. I mean, everybody's got a creature bait. Everybody's got a lipless. Everybody's got a jerk bait. But when a company can design a tool to make me a better angler, to make me realize that, you know, I have a tool that is for a specific job because my dad has always told me this and forever. I can always remember him saying this is that every job has a tool and there's a right tool for every job mm-hmm. and fishing is no different. If it's a specific lipless, if it's a specific jerk bait, if it's whatever it is, and that's what you guys are designing. And that's why, you know, even though, I don't formally represent Duo Realis. Every person that I talk to that wants to know, you know, hey man, who's making the apex of baits? What is the, you know, who's making tools? I'm like, it's Duo Realis because I've just had the life experience. I've had fishing experience. It's just, it's beautiful products, awesome people putting in time and work to make awesome products. Well, I, you know, I, I thank you for that. It, it really is. It's it's my goal to see guys be happy with something that they've chased all their life. And, and we forget about this. I, I, I don't even know how I even got into bass fishing. You know, I, I mean, I do, but I mean, it, it really wasn't on, it wasn't my marker. I, there was no way as a child, what I was doing or where I was that said anything that I would be way over here. I could tell you all you wanted to know about concrete. I could tell you everything you wanted to know about the street, the concrete, but but to be mesmerized by fish, uh, how that happened, I don't, I don't even know. I, I remember I was sitting with a, with a family. They took me, quote unquote, camping, and uh, I was sitting there, and and I think I was probably too ornery to to uh, to invite over to the campfire. So they put me on a bucket uh, over in the in the darkness with a fishing rod and said, "You sit here," and and lo and behold. Um, the rod lit up and started vibrating. Well, I didn't even know what it was. I thought it was possessed and I was screaming. <laughs> um, now, mind you, I'd never even been near water. I, don't, I didn't even know what water looked like outside of it coming out of a, a, a sink. And so, uh, you know, I just thought that the monster was coming out of the lake to eat me or something. So I'm screaming, running up the up the bank, hanging onto the rod. I forgot to let that go. And uh, I dragged this poor little bluegill out of, you know, 30 feet out of the water. And, uh, and they come over and they say, holy smokes, he caught one. And they unhooked it, put water in the bucket, put the fish in the bucket and gave me a flashlight. And I sat there until two or three o'clock in the morning, staring at that fish swimming in circles and was just 
done. I was hooked from that that day on. And amazing. Yeah. So you know, um, it just intrigued me. There, there. It's an interesting creature. We have a great, great sport, um, and and that's why I, I really want to be good to it because it it has. It's it's brought a lot of people. You know, I I always say it's some of the best medicine you can have is to go fishing, right? And it also crosses all sorts of all sorts of lines, social economic lines, uh, uh, racial lines, uh, religious lines, whatever you want to call it, um, for whatever be you know your interest, it crosses all these things. And people have one thing in common, that's to, to enjoy this pleasure. So um, I, have a, I have a tremendous respect for it. And I, and I wanted that to continue, not that dual wouldn't, but I, you know, it was really one of my things uh, that I was very adamant about was that we provide the best service that we can. Uh, even though we're a JDM company and, and a lot of JDM companies don't work that way. They're like, Hey, you're interested in our great product. Good. Bye. And that's it. You know? And so you, <laughs> you dump your money down, they hand you the product, they shake hands. They say that was a nice, you know, Benjamin, nice guy. Goodbye. You know, and, and you're done with the deal. Um, and I really wanted it to be more, I want it to be um, kind of, I don't want to call it a movement. That's not the word, but I really did want it to be a, a a passionate and, and, and fun experience um, to be with dual. And I, so I've said that as long as I'm here, I'm going to try to do that in every, every way possible um, for people. I've, I've seen guys that, you know, that have all the money in the world and you get them in the boat and, and you teach them something small and, and it goes a long ways with them to, to the, you know, the guy that can barely, you know, make his rent payment and, and he loves fishing and fishing is his solace. And so um, each one of those guys are very, very important to me for sure. That's amazing. Amazing. So I have one more question and then we'll probably hop off here. Um, but what is your new like passion child? So you had the apex vibe, you had a lipless, you brought the spy bait to life. You, I mean, you're obviously going to keep refining those. Like, is there another passion? You, you did the Roman made stuff. Like what is the next kind of thought process? I don't know, man. Uh, um, you know, I, I, uh, hmm, I've done, you know, I, I've just done a lot of things. I, one time I was with Lucky Craft back in the early, early years, I'm going to say like late nineties or mid nineties. And I was with uh Jackal in the early 200, uh, 2000s. And, uh, and then I want to talk about Jackal. Just sorry. One second. Yeah. My buddy, I'd never seen the Jackal rearrange in person and our buddy came out fish with us. The weight transfer in that thing, yeah. every oh, cast. No Thanks joke. Break it off. Yeah, every cast. You broke it. No. no. So he, when he would cast it in the big, the big jackal rearrange, uh-huh. he'd sling the piss out of that thing, and every time me and Ben would both look back because we'd think he had snapped his line <laughs> oh, okay. because that weight transfer smacks the back of that bait yeah. so hard. It sounds like somebody <laughs> shooting a gun in the back of the boat. <laughs> Just <laughs> every yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. So Sorry. yeah, I, I helped them. Uh, get on the map as well um and i helped torrey which was a japanese fishing line uh uh get on the map with bass anglers as well then obviously and then i did some stuff uh, in between all those and, and in front of those private contracts with some companies to help them get to the next level um and i think for me uh you know the, the, the one thing that i'm excited about right now is you know i i've signed aaron martins obviously for last few years um, as our, we're his title sponsor. Um, and I just love watching him slowly uh, develop into uh, this, this 
part of duo and and i mean he listen he can go on on his own and and go to any company he wanted that he definitely could be to any company he wanted there so i'm very lucky to have him we, we've been friends for a long time um and, and and i'm very honored but you know he's doing he, he did me a favor we always wanted to work together one we'd always sit there and go oh god wouldn't it be neat if we could work together you know and so that finally happened but uh but um his his whole apex stuff you know um and and i work closely with him on some of the stuff some of the stuff i i, I definitely influence but really uh you know the, like the apex 100 that's really his baby i mean that was really his baby which is a niche bait it's a gigantic niche bait but it's a niche bait um and really watching that kind of come to fruition was awesome uh you know the 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 most recent one that's happening is uh the apex uh tune with, I mean, I'm sorry, not Apex Squared, I should say, which is a square bill crankbait. Um, I'm just kind of letting out a little bit about that now. You'll see pictures and stuff, but I'm so excited. I don't know how much square bill fishing you guys do. Um, it is really uh, oh god, it, Wait, it, it, so much square bill fishing, and I'm it, so excited about it. I can't stand it. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's such there's so many levels to square. You know, guys to even companies right now think of square bill it's a shallow water crankbait they don't understand there's a whole nother piece to square bill fishing so um we hopefully caught some of that uh or the majority of that uh passion that is in square bill we hopefully caught it with the with his apex squared um it's a bulbous bait uh size and weight will be will be uh, finalized really soon it's 66 uh millimeter right now um it's pretty bulbous bait. It has real, real high float uh, uh, effect, um, which is good for it cleaning itself. You give it one twitch with the line, and 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 it blows blows grass off um, really well. So um, it's you know not to say that it's not going to grab stuff, but it it's it's well done. Like it, it it's a really solid. I'm really happy for him because. I had very little to do with that. I was just kind of like, well, maybe we should, you know. Um, but he really did drive this big, uh, this big square bill, and I, I honestly feel like guys are going to be like right on. It has all the vibration that you need in a bait, and a little bit more pounce on it as well. So it's it's got enough, and it's uh, it's a silent one. It's a quiet one. So it's gonna it's gonna blow a lot of water too. By the way, it just it displaces a lot of water as well. But um, you guys who know uh, traditional square bill, real square bill fishing, um, that's where you're gonna see it really shine. The guys that are cranking it on the rock, they're gonna find out it's a very good shallow water crankbait as well. Um, it is a size that you can uh, easily change the hooks to. I think you can run hooks uh, probably two sizes smaller if you wanted to. Um, especially if you're doing small mouth and stuff like that, I run a smaller set. Um, but everything that, uh, that Aaron, I, I I'm, I'm going to say almost everything that Aaron put out, which is kind of crazy. Cause he, sometimes he'll be like, Hey, can you put wings on that? You know, like <laughs> going under the water, you know, <laughs> so, um, so you, you can get challenged by, uh, by what he does. So, that, so I am really excited about that, that apex 66 squared. It, it is really, it's, it's a really cool bait and um, I have to give him credit. He, he's done really well. Now he wants certain colors. So hopefully, um, you know, do <laughs> well, I know, I know colors from exactly how he wants them. Cause you know, he's, he's particular too. Right. So, uh, so we're working on colors for him, but I think that's a really cool one. Um, and I, I'll give a hint that I'm working on even another spin bait, uh, 
So there's another one coming. Um, and, and I'll make sure you guys get those as well. Uh, but I'm really excited about it because if we pull this off, this is going to be a hard one to pull off. But if we pull it off, um, you guys will understand why why we put it in the in, into the niche. The goal here was not only to, you know, um, to stay ahead of the competition. I really wanted to keep that keep that going because we really worked hard for that. Like what we done, what we have done research wise. Uh, and, and, and building the bait and stuff is sets us apart for sure. And I, I know that's bias. That's coming from me, but I, I, I really think, you know, I can say duo, we've done a really good job with that, but it was also being able to keep that precedent of how effective the lure was. So each one of those spin baits, as we talked about, um, they are alike, but yet they have some power in them, each one of them. So we've added another one shortly, fingers crossed, we're close. Um, if we can change something, just we'll have this other spin bait in the. And I, I will say the line will be. Um, you, you'll be able to go out now to 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 your favorite restaurant at Duo and and choose your spin bait exactly how you want it. Cook. Um, Is it weird that you guys created a brand new category of fishing? I mean, like you. I mean, I know you're like, okay, ancient history, they had this, but like you guys created something that is like the Senko or like the Chatterbait. That's like something totally different. And you've had your hand to help develop this. I think that's really, really insane. Yeah. It's, you know, it is, it, I think, um, I mean, it's really cool. It really is cool for me. I, you know, I guess, yeah, if I could get a dollar for that for everyone. <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, no, uh, you know, all joking aside, it, it really is cool. Um, Duo will now be able to, how can I say this? Duo will now be able to continue spy baiting. If I kick the bucket tomorrow, <laughs> Duo could continue spy baiting for the rest of its career because it's that effective, right? It's, it's just as effective as coming out with um, crankbaits that 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 really work. It's just as effective as coming out with spinner baits that really work, or drop shot uh, worms that really work. You know, they now have um, something that will literally um, will facilitate that technique for for the rest. They, they don't even have to make another lure. They could just make sexy colors, and it's gonna do it's gonna do its damage because it's was that proven and, and, and so much um, underground went into that stuff. So that's really kind of cool. And I, I agree with you. It is. And when I sit back and think about that, um, I, I, it, it's, uh, it, it's humbling. It really is humbling. Um, well, the kick, but the kick again is, uh, you know, when you guys come up to me and you go, did you know that I just like put a six pound smallmouth in the boat? Did you, did you know I just put an eight pound spot in the boat? I, I think, First of all, for you to do that, you had to trust a little bit of what I said in order to do that. So, um, so I greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, and the and the technique isn't isn't as easy as we as I'd like it to be. That's why I kind of broke it up into sandwiching. You know, I'm going to talk about spy baiting in dirty water. I'm going to talk about spy baiting at different times later. But right now, I wanted to really dial guys in as best as possible. Give them. The, the 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 keys to the truck so that they could drive that truck in four wheel drive and do what it needed to do and so um we're there I, I mean a lot of a lot of anglers now are 
are there. Like they they really do get it as a technique, just like drop shotting. So um, so hats off to you guys for pulling that off for sure. I and also have, think it's really interesting. Up with me. I'm a, goodness gracious. So. I also think it's really interesting seeing it come into like, this is my first experience with seeing a product start to come to market, right? Like when Wayne did really well on St. Clair in 2013, I think. Mm-hmm. But like this still, believe it or not, is the infancy of spy baiting. It's yes. just all accelerated because of the internet and because of social media, because we all have this ability to communicate via webcam over the internet. Right. But like you're seeing the pros really get it and pick it up. And like the top tier guys really get it and pick it up. But over the years, I think it's going to become like a chatterbait where you have to have it tied on. or It's a drop shot where you have to have it tied on. It's like you understand how to fish it. More guys can talk about it. So what's complicated now is like almost second second nature when it actually becomes like socially or, or widely accepted. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're each, each one of us can now today go in our boat with our eyes closed and we can tie a drop shot on all three of us. Right. Can do that, right. No problem whatsoever. But when it first came over, if I could have had video back then, <laughs> and if I could have done social media back then, you would have saw guys running around like a wrecked mess, man, trying to figure out how just to tie the, the loop knot and get the hook to stand straight. I mean, it was like it, they would tie it, you know, in the, and the hook would be off to the kilter so that that hook would actually sit at an angle. And then you hook your worm on, well, then your worm's at an angle. And and then, <laughs> and I mean, these are bona fide tournament angles that throw the whole thing down and get upset. And then some of the guys were like, okay, finally got it cut. And then they would cut the main line, which they thought was their tag end line and drop the whole drop shot rig in the ocean. I mean, it was just hilarious. <laughs> I wish I would. It was, it was worse than going to a boat ramp at, at lunchtime. It was, it was hilarious. But what you see now is how effective and how efficient these guys are. Now these guys are um, drop shotting. You know, drop shotting on St. Clair changed St. Clair fishing dramatically. I mean, yeah. you know that it, when guys figured out how to do that, there that was a huge learning curve in one aspect, like positioning, boat positioning, finding fish, and going out and drop shotting. And uh, once that happened, I can I can almost remember the date and time that that happened. And uh, and now guys, you know, do it with their eyes closed, and everyone can go anywhere. And drop shot right now, right? Everyone can do that. I had a guy, I, I don't know if you heard the story, but I had a guy in San Diego, real, real cool kid. A big, he's a big swim bait guy, uh, loves swim baits, but he called me up, man, I really want to get on this uh, drop shot thing. And I mean, or, or this uh, the spy bait thing. And I said, no problem, we'll go, we'll do it. And off we go. And uh, he finally learns it. He starts doing really well in tournaments. And then one day he tells me, dude, everybody... Everybody has a spy bait tied on their boat, man. And I said to him, don't worry about that because most of those guys got rewarded, you know, when the fish were breaking on the surface or something, right? That's when they got rewarded. Most guys haven't really got in and made the technique work and then expand from there. So I told him, you have nothing to worry about. Honestly, guys are just throwing it and some of them are getting rewarded. Pretty soon, guys are going to start to get it. And then you're going to see ebbs and, ebbs and flow. Guys now kind of think that the summertime is the only time to spy bait. Wait until the guys start figuring out how to pluck fish off pre-spawn. You know what I mean? We know yeah. our work go up at pre-spawn, right? Well, I used to fish rock crust, these, these rock forms that sat just before flats. And I used to crank those and catch some big smallmouth or even largemouth on those things because those were staging positions for those fish to move to the flats to, to spawn. 
And now I spy bait those. I don't even mess around with crankbait. Every once in a while, I'll mix it up. But I have a spy bait tied on and a rod ready to go because I it, it just close my eyes and ah, I wonder if there's a big fish here. I fished I, I fished a pro event uh, uh, last year. Uh, it was a wild, wild, it was a wild west event out here. I don't know if you guys know about that circuit, but it's a pro am event. And I um, let me plug something in real quick. And uh, and I was preparing for that event. And um, I uh, I was fishing like in five foot to seven foot waves all day, like four days in a row. It was just nasty big water. I get off the water, I was just beat up, and the water temperature was cold. It was just horrible, and uh, and nothing that I was doing was adding up. And so, so like one day I come back in from uh, the the pre fishing day, and I'm exhausted, wet, cold. And I look down this dock line and I'm like, that looks like a good place to spy bait. I pick up my spin spinning rod. I toss the spy bait. I start rolling that spy bait along the dock and boom, I catch a five pound largemouth. Now, when I was pre-fishing for four days, I couldn't get one of those things to go anywhere out there on the river. But I come back in the marina where I put my boat away and there she is, a five pounder sitting there. And it, and that really was the exclamation for me. It was just another one of those confirming moments, you know, that just it just does what it's supposed to do. Amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. Awesome. Well, David, awesome. thank you so, so much for joining us, man. I mean, this has been unreal. Thank you guys. And like, I, I know I'll see you guys at the shows and stuff like that, but really both of you, Alex, Ben, you guys are doing a great job. I, I, I've been following you when I can. And, and, and I, and I just want to let you guys know that your work, I know you work hard anyways, but um, it, it, I think it's paying off. And I, I think your viewership shows that as well. Keep it up. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that came in and watched this and uh, hung out with us. But um, we'll catch you guys soon with some more information coming your way. So okay. see you guys. See ya.